This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Alexis and Suzanne here with a quick message about our early season one episodes. Just like it took Rory time to get settled into Chilton and the Gilmore Girls writers to develop the role of a random guy named Mick to the Kirk that we all know and love, here at Talking Fast, it took us some time to learn to podcast. As you listen to our early episodes, we ask for your patience as you witness our process of learning how to host a podcast, organize an episode, edit audio, get new equipment, and more. We also understand that sometimes you just like to skip over the Independence Inn and get to the good parts of Lorelai and Suki living out their dreams running the dragonfly. So if that's the case, feel free to skip ahead to after our mid-season one recap where we feel we hit our podcasting groove. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy and stick around. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Okay, this week we are covering season one, episode 10 Forgiveness and Stuff. The Netflix bio is Misfortune Strikes at the Gilmore's Christmas Party. Dean assures Lorelai that nothing improper happened the night he and Rory fell asleep together. And before we get into talking about the episode, make sure that as you're listening, um, please subscribe wherever you are listening and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, Follow us on Instagram at TalkingFastPodcast and share us in your stories. And don't forget to send us your gazebo moments to talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com to be included in the show. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this was a pretty Christmas-themed episode, so we thought we would kick things off by sharing our own Christmas memories, both related to Gilmore Girls and also just more personal uh, things we think about when it's this time of year. Suzanne, I know you like... Uh, Christmas decorations in particular. <laughs> Do you want to share a bit about that? <laughs> sure. I am obsessed with Christmas. And it's not because for any like religious reasons, although I was r- raised religious. Um, but mostly it's because of the tradition and like the cozy feeling of Christmas time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. my dad and my grandma are also obsessed with Christmas. So I only hope to one day rival my grandma's Christmas decorations, Um, but the the memory I wanted to mention, I guess it's kind of a collection of memories, but when I was a little kid, we used to go, like, after a Christmas Eve service, we would go and drive around town and look at all the lights and everything. I feel like a lot of people do that, Um, Mm -hmm. but I grew up in New Mexico, and there is a certain kind of light that only really happens kind of in the southwest um, called a luminaria or also a farolito. 
and people argue about which title is correct. <laughs> I think Feralito is technically correct because it's a little fire. But mm-hmm. it's like a paper bag filled with sand and a little candle inside. And people would line their driveways and streets with these. And that's something I always miss when I don't get to go home for Christmas. Um, is seeing those little fiery lights kind of oh it's like the southwestern version of stars hollow <laughs> i mean yeah. different in other ways but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like the welcome to stars hollow segment but for your own hometown yeah, exactly <laughs> a very place-based <laughs> sentimental memory mm-hmm. it's very lovely <laughs> what about you do you have any christmas memories yeah i enjoy the holiday as well I don't have quite as many decorations as you from what I've seen from Instagram and whatnot, but I do love a good like tree decorating. Um, Growing up, that was always a fun day when we would uh, go to like a tree farm to pick out a tree and it's like my sisters and I would always kind of be like advocating for our chosen tree (laughs) and our dad would like go around looking at them and being the ultimate decider, but Uh, I wanted to share Gilmore Girls kind of Christmas associated memory too. I couldn't remember what episode this happens, but as we're watching this episode, there's a Christmas pageant and you see Kirk getting ready for it. And I thought this might be the episode where Kirk plays the role of Jesus. And then he had, he's act, then he starts to like become the persona of Jesus. And he has all of his like followers and he thinks somebody is like Judas to him and it must be a later Christmas episode but I can't wait for that one because it's so hilarious it totally goes to his head to play the role of Jesus which I could see how that could happen yeah I agree (laughs) I think that might be the living portraits episode is he like in the last supper portrait yeah it wasn't even a Christmas (laughs) episode at all I can't remember how many Christmas episodes there are actually I did look up a list of Christmas episodes and it ranked them. Maybe I'll put them in the episode notes, but this isn't my own personal ranking. Uh, But this this episode was number two on their list, actually, of like seven or eight episodes. So it was pretty high. But I guess they've had a lot of Christmas episodes, more than the Halloween ones. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I guess should we start getting into talking about this Christmas episode? (laughs) Yes, I do think we should. Technically, two weeks before Christmas, as Luke points (laughs) out many times. (laughs) Yeah, and we are more than a month before Christmas as we're recording this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are you ready to go first in our talking fast this week? Why not? (laughs) Okay. Okay, you ready? And go. The episode opens. It's rehearsal for the Christmas pageant. Lorelai and Roy are there. They're still pretty tense. Uh, Lorelai is disinvited from the Christmas party by Emily. Rory goes on her own. Richard collapses during the party. Meanwhile, Lorelai is at Luke's, so Luke drives her to the hospital. They're all there. It turns out Richard is okay. There's many meaningful conversations. Uh, The next day, Lorelai gives Luke a hat. Okay. You had one second to spare. (laughs) Oh, Oh nice. 
I feel like I just glossed the surface. <laughs> and everything, like, so so much of this episode was, like, nuance, which isn't always mm-hmm. the case. Um, right. But, yeah. And this segment does not allow for nuance. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for your turn? I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. There's going to be a Christmas pageant in Stars Hollow. Rory has a bad gift picked out for Dean. Um, Rory goes to the Christmas party alone because Emily sneakily uninvites Lorelai. Lorelai stays home and attempts to order pizza and sees Dean in the window. At the party, Richard collapses and they go to the hospital. Luke takes Lorelai to the hospital. There's a search for coffee and... I cried at the very end when Lorelai and Richard saw each other. <laughs> okay. I let you go on a bit because it seemed like a heartfelt sh- memory. <laughs> That's my manipulation to get more time. <laughs> Ooh, it worked. I cried when Emily and Richard were talking and she said oh, yeah. that she wants to die first, but <laughs> I'll get emotional when we talk about it. Um, yeah. I'll wait, though. Uh, should we slow down and get to these yeah. moments? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to share, I watched this episode over my lunch break, and I thought, like, oh, it's just going to be a regular episode, but it made me <laughs> so emotional, and it was, like, also all I could think about for the rest of the afternoon, because it was so nuanced, as you said. Like, I think this is my favorite episode we've seen so oh, far yeah. this season. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that this happens already. Like for the first five or six minutes of the episode, I did not realize that this was this episode. <laughs> I thought I was at some other Christmas episode, but yeah, it's a rough one in a good way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Angsty. Mm-hmm. But The episode begins as all of the town is preparing for the Christmas pageant. And this opening scene has Lorelai and Rory. They're both a part of the pageant, but they're very separate. They're across the room. They're looking at each other, but they're not talking to each other. And you can tell that there's still some emotional turmoil going on here following up from the last episode that had no resolution at all. They're still kind of in this fight about how Rory came home uh, at like 5 a.m. after falling asleep with Dean. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that they start this episode at the scene of the crime, per se, (laughs) in Miss Patty's dance studio, Um, even though it's completely decked out and there are a bunch of people there, so it's almost unrecognizable, but it is where Rory and Dean slept together but not in the sense that Lorelai thinks or Emily thinks I'm not sure (laughs) I didn't even think about that it is at the scene of the crime (laughs) this then leads into the next day which seems to be the day of the Gilmore Christmas party but we have a couple scenes beforehand Rory is talking to Lane at the gazebo while Lorelai is at the inn at work. And the gazebo scene, I think, is interesting because it reveals some information to us that Rory and Dean have not talked 
it's been four days since um, the incident, <laughs> shall we say. And uh, we also learned that Rory is planning to buy him a book for Christmas. And I think Lane offers some excellent advice here about gift giving. You should think about what it says to the person rather than what it says to you. As always, Lane has the best advice, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's some advice that I think a lot of people, including myself sometimes, could stand to remember that it doesn't matter that you like what you're getting somebody, it matters whether they would like it. I think Lane's example is also hilarious. She provides uh, the story that she got her mom perfume, and Mrs. Kim thought of it as smelly sex juice, <laughs> which I think is just the most fantastic way and probably a very inaccurate way to describe perfume for most for most people, but I still had a good laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, and she compares, which I, I thought this was also great, that she compares Rory's interest in books to Dean's interest in football and how would Rory feel if Dean got her a football for Christmas. And I thought that was a very good comparison because books are basically like a sport for Rory. They are her main pastime. Mm -hmm. So it was probably the best example Lane could have given. Exactly. I completely agree. Lane is so wise beyond her experience or years. <laughs> I do have one thing to point out in a nitpicky way in this scene. Um, they clearly were not filming this actually in winter because all of the trees around the gazebo are fully leafed out. Um, there is green grass on the ground <laughs> and there's like not a bear tree to be seen there's no <laughs> real snow you can tell that they tried to like have some snow piles here and there mm -hmm. um, and they do a better job of this in like the nighttime scenes but this mm -hmm. bright daylight scene it was impossible to miss all those green leafy trees that's so funny <laughs> I'm sure their budget was, you know, just getting off the ground. <laughs> but I think it, it does take you out of the scene for a moment when you do notice things like that. But yeah. something that totally kept me in the scene, though, of the season of the episode was the decorations, the Christmas decorations throughout, mm -hmm. uh, which I started to notice when we see Lorelai at the end at this point in the episode it is like tricked out in like so many ornaments, uh, like green stuff everywhere. There's poinsettias and candles. It's very epic and awesome. I have a funny story to tell about my, my time working in hotels. Mm -hmm. I worked at a hotel in Buffalo for a while, in Buffalo, New York, um, and I really liked working at that hotel. It was a great environment. One of the best things was um, decorating for Christmas. <laughs> and I was one of the front desk employees. And I usually worked the evening shift from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And so it fell on me to change the location of the elf on the shelf each night <laughs> during the Christmas season um, for the kids in the hotel to find. And it was 
it was a great responsibility. I took it very seriously. <laughs> what an honor. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> also in this scene is when Emily finds a way to disinvite Lorelai from the Christmas party too. But yeah, it ends up with Emily just saying, well, then just don't come. Um, and yeah. she was clearly trying to get to that point of uninviting her. Mm-hmm. Lorelai starts off with like uh, saying she can't make it to the cocktail hour because mm-hmm. she has to work. And so Emily jumps on that pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, she says that she's tired of um, doing terrible things that infringe on Lorelai's life. So really repeating a lot of what Lorelai told her in their previous fight. Uh, she references the fight saying that she was treated unacceptably um, and that only Rory should come to the party. Yeah, and we find out later that this is the one time that Lorelai likes going to their house is for their Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it is, I guess, surprising that like this was the thing that kind of broke the camel's back, per se. Um, I thought it was unfair. <laughs> But at the same time, it probably avoided some pretty terrible fight that might have happened at the dinner table with guests. So I can kind of also mm-hmm. see why Emily did it. <sighs> Poor Rory had to go. Still as a buffer. <laughs> yes. And Rory isn't... It doesn't seem like Rory is totally in the clear with Emily yet either when she gets to the party. Because... Rory is apologizing to Emily about what had happened when she, you know, got home so late. And Emily is being, like, very difficult in this moment with Rory. She is very, like, occupied with her party and is telling Rory that, like, it's not the time or place to discuss this, to apologize, and she should know better. And I just thought... I, I, she's just, I'm like, come on, just listen to Rory. She's doing the right thing by taking responsibility for her actions. And who cares? <laughs> like, you stepped aside too. It's not like she's saying this in front of the guest. She asked her if she could speak to her privately. Mm-hmm. And I think she's being totally reasonable to approach Emily like this. I agree. And she was like trying to avoid a really uncomfortable dinner, especially because there were mm-hmm. guests there. Yeah, and Emily, I mean, she even left the fight in the previous episode before being able to see Rory, so this Mm -hmm. was technically her first time seeing her um, since she left for the dance, and yeah, yeah, I, I understand that Emily is still upset about it, but she is also much older than Rory, and Rory is here doing the mature thing, and Emily is being passive-aggressive about it, like, just let her apologize and have a nice Christmas. (laughs) You don't have to, you don't have to love, you don't have to love the circumstance or even the apology, but sometimes it's worth just accepting the apology. And so much of this makes me wonder, like, I don't want to, we, we talked about psychoanalysis last time (laughs) and I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I do wonder if Emily is repressing 
a few different things and using the party as like the conscious thing she's going to focus all of her attention on and like fixate on the party, making it perfect, making it appearance wise, like crystal clear. And she's like repressing what I'm guessing might have been a bit of a traumatic fight for her that she didn't that she doesn't yet want to admit that she probably understood a lot of the points that Lorelai made. Because uh, uh, I was also thinking about, like, why is she so intent on the proper kind of party when Richard is starting to show signs of not feeling well? Like, she's actively trying to sweep all of that under the rug. And I think we could, like, attribute it to her, like, social performance she's like always in the performance but perhaps another level is also like well what is she what is she like not focusing on by being able to give all of her attention and control like the feeling she can have a feeling of control here by directing everyone to like their proper roles at the party mm-hmm. um including does that make sense yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely agree i also think that We could read this kind of repression onto most things that Emily does, Um, especially when it comes to Lorelai and her, Mm -hmm. yeah, her trying to take control of what she can um, to avoid the one thing she can't, which I guess is Lorelai and now also Mm -hmm. Rory. But yeah, I, I agree. She also, I think she, like, is more disruptive during the party because she's doing this then mm. like when Richard is walking away to go check the thermostat she yells after him instead of just like carrying on or going to check on him and I feel mm. like that's more disruptive than anything he was doing mm. although it's good that she went because she obviously caught him when she needed to yeah Uh, And to back up a little bit, when Rory does arrive at the party, we see Richard uh, in, like, business talk mode or shop talk, as it's described. And he's arguing with his uh, somebody named Alan. I don't think it's important that we know his name, but it's someone named Alan. And this is where we get a bit of foreshadowing that he seems to be, like, getting worked up and angry and... Um, It's a sign that he's going to have, like, a heart attack or heart issues and collapse later on. Um, At dinner, he begins to feel hot, and notably, that's when he starts to, like, uh, loosen his tie, and Emily tells him not to loosen his tie at dinner, right? Yeah, and that will come up again later at the end of the episode. Yeah. During all of this, we're also getting a pretty interesting scene back in Stars Hollow, where Lorelai is at home, kind of unsure what to do. And then she hears a knock on the window and goes and finds Dean standing outside of Rory's window like an absolute creeper. And they have, I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. They basically talk, Dean has to kind of um, think quickly and apologize to Lorelai. Lorelai puts up an icy front, but eventually Dean says the right thing, um, and which is basically that if Rory, yes, Rory is going to Harvard, but if she doesn't go to Harvard, it won't be because of him. 
And I think that mm-hmm. was the thing that Lorelai really needed to hear to feel better about him. Um, and then, so they've kind of made up. Dean still mm-hmm. is kind of on on uh, thin ice, as we should yeah. say, the keeping with the episode theme. <laughs> yeah. I thought as far as conversations with Dean go, this was a pretty good one. <laughs> I have to admit, she also at one point makes... A reference. Dean asks if he's public enemy number one, and she says no. Mm-hmm. She's still pretty mad about the guy with bombs in caves. And in my ridiculous mind, where I listen to a lot of true crime, I thought she was talking about the Unabomber, and I wrote out a whole thing to say <laughs> about the Unabomber. And then I remembered when this is, which is two thousand one. <laughs> And it's obviously Osama bin Laden. It's not the Unabomber. Oh, Uh, Oh my gosh. So I could have saved myself from this embarrassing reference, but I obviously just said it, so it's too late (laughs) now. (laughs) That's fine. It's like the the signs in the Sixth Sense debacle. Even though it was a confusion, it still was adding meaning, just in a misguided (laughs) way, perhaps. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. If it helps, I totally didn't understand the reference at all, so. (laughs) Okay, so then after this fairly nice resolution between Dean and Lorelai, she decides to go to Luke's and wants to order food there. And this begins what is, like, I think my favorite, like, their whole storyline like, every single interaction they have this episode is, like, gazebo moment worthy to me. It was just so good. There's, like, comedy, flirting, heartwarming. It's it's all there. And I'm like, Max Medina, who? Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't even remember this person. Completely <laughs> forgot that he's in the picture. Wow. It's yeah. been so long. <laughs> I feel like the writers did, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love this. So she asked for... Well, she asked for some festive food, um, but Mm -hmm. it's Luke, so obviously there is nothing festive in the entire diner. (laughs) Um, But he, uh, being the the softy that he is, he makes a hamburger into a Santa with, like, ketchup and whipped cream or something. I couldn't really tell exactly how he did it. Yeah, it's like the the thought is behind the Santa burger, and Lorelai says it's the most disgusting thing anyone's ever made for her, and she loves it, basically. Yeah, it was so cute. <laughs> yeah, and he was so gruff with the way he presented it, like, oh, it's nothing. You just mentioned you wanted something festive, <laughs> but clearly it is a big deal. Like, that is so thoughtful and it's also so silly too (laughs) like it's right on Lorelai's level and he just acts so nonchalant about it but on the inside he must be thinking like nailed it you know yeah seriously (laughs) and like before this too Luke asks her oh like he's checking in about this whole Dean situation and he's saying like I hope you forbid her to see the bag boy (laughs) Which is so good. And he says, like, that kid is trouble. Uh, he's being like, such a dad kind yeah. of figure in this scene, which I thought was really touching. Like, we saw him make the birthday present for Rory a couple episodes ago, too. Like, just a very 
paternal kind of figure in her life, which I thought it was nice that he's so involved. <laughs> yeah, he's just overprotective, but also like kind of in a posturing kind of way. Like if it actually mm. came to it, I think he would defer to Rory's own judgment. But yeah. he is um, acting it up, I guess, <laughs> that he really doesn't yeah. doesn't like Dean, which will be ironic when we meet Jess, but <laughs> at the moment. So true. <laughs> talk about kids who are in trouble <laughs> yeah basically i think we can move on to the the big crux of the episode basically which happens here at luke's diner um mm-hmm. when laura like gets a phone call luke of course tries to get her to leave um because she's not allowed to have a cell phone in the diner but she mm-hmm. manages to hear um rory's voicemail first which is basically grandpa's in the hospital come now um and luke here drops everything he closes the diner he kicks everybody out to drive lorelei to the hospital it's it's so sweet and adorable and he's like as she's listening to the voicemail he's very busy with taylor and all of these carolers who are trying to get him to give them hot chocolate and it's, very, it's a pretty, like, loud and noisy scene, but you, he hears Lorelai say, oh, my God, after she's listened to the voicemail. And he immediately, he's, like, so attuned to her and immediately understands in that phrase that something is wrong. And he makes everybody be quiet. He makes everyone leave that's already there and is, like, she's, like, babbling about needing to call a cab she's very like um not really knowing how to respond and he kind of just like we'll take my truck and she says like luke i'm and she kind of trails off doesn't like probably doesn't know how to express like thank you so much and he just says i know which is very like han solo and leia kind of (laughs) thing (laughs) but just like it goes unspoken their bond which just even as they were talking earlier, he's, like, saying, you come here all the time. Like, of course, I know what's going on in your life. And their interaction just exudes, like, ease and comfort and, like, habit. Like, they are two people who just give off so much of, like, knowing each other so deeply. Ah, oh, so great. <laughs> yeah, now Luke is going to be involved in, like, one of the most, I don't know, important moments in Lorelai's life at the time like this is the most emotional and vulnerable moment for her with right when, when her father is at the hospital and she has no idea why um mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious that Luke then drives like 20 miles an hour to get to the hospital which I kind yeah. of take as like another dad type behavior um like <laughs> baby on board kind of status uh driving slowly to be careful because it's icy or whatever um Mm -hmm. that was such a funny detail in his like big truck he still drives really slowly (laughs) yeah well there's ice you know (laughs) uh as they're driving really thinking about this like rocky relationship that she has with him and Lorelai like says she feels like a disappointment to him like that the one thing he wanted was a daughter who would like want a life like his or something like that she's really like getting into the whole fear that she has with 
the possibility that her dad might be dying because as we hear Rory gave zero details and I think that this is really not to jump too far ahead but interesting to look at in the light of what happens in the revival um when Richard has died and Lorelai's like trying to kind of think of memories that she had with her father and like come to terms with their relationship and I thought it was yeah really interesting that she mostly focuses on how she feels like she has disappointed him um which I think is what makes the scenes later in this episode so like heart-wrenching um Mm -hmm. but yeah I, I I don't think that this conversation would have happened with anybody but Luke it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have even happened with Rory, so. Right, because, like, how could she say this to Rory when Rory is, like, anything but a disappointment to Richard? I, like, I feel for her, and we've already seen Lorelai have, like, feelings of jealousy directed toward Rory and the easy and burgeoning relationship that Rory has with Richard. So I also think it's, like, it's a case of something so... Uh, like catastrophic happening that I don't even know if Lorelai herself would have been reflecting on these things about her dad if this hadn't happened because as we'll see throughout other episodes in the show like they have a tough relationship and he is not always fair toward her at all so yeah though they do build some more memories (laughs) as the seasons go on I think um, a good line in this scene is that, uh, like, Lorelai's thanking Luke in a way for being there for her, and she tells him, like, you'd make a great dad, and he says, you make a great mom, so the tense and verb shifts there to, like, you are a great mom, and she admits, uh, but it's the daughter part that she doesn't have down yet. I think that's, like, a very concise way to uh, synthesize a lot of the threads we've tracked between the different arguments so far of like uh, Lorelai is a mom to Rory but Lorelai is a daughter to Emily is like a far different and more like like a conflict a conflicting kind of relationship yeah that's a really good point yeah and Rory is somehow a great daughter and granddaughter Emily is a great grandmother, but not necessarily a great mother. <laughs> so there are so yeah. many like, so many uh, difficulties with all of the different roles that each of the three Gilmore girls has. Yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. this, that's a great uh, line that distills Lorelai's. She is a good mom, even though we've had qualms mm-hmm. every once in a while. But <laughs> right. Okay, should we move to the hospital? Yes. Which is where the rest of the episode basically happens. I mm-hmm. thought it was fun to point out that the nurse we have on duty is Sue Sylvester from Glee <laughs> in a very different role. Um, I thought, yeah, she's very underutilized yeah. here. I'm like, this is Jane Lynch, Emmy winner. Like, oh, I love Jane Lynch. She pops up and so many shows that I watched since Glee too, like she's in uh, The Good Fight. I'm watching Only Murders in the Building right now. She's in that. Like she is such a good, a 
I think they call them character actors, right? Where they, like, come on to play a character, right? And um, this nurse needed more screen time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she barely did anything except aggravate Emily by doing her job, which Emily was... I understand she was in a very emotionally charged situation, but, like, you could still be nice to the people there just trying to help, you know? (laughs) Yeah, the word used to describe Emily is obstinate, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a great vocab word and a fantastic word to describe her behavior, (laughs) which I agree is not acceptable, but I do do see the reason here. Uh, And I was thinking, obviously, she's, like, refusing to fill out these forms because she's very, like, distractive and like not grief stricken but really worried about her husband um but I was thinking like another reason is that she doesn't have the information to fill out the forms like Richard and her occupy very different roles in their relationship and he is the one like as he later tells her like you'll need this key to go in to get these documents to find this and that like he covers so much of the like the business side of the relationship I honestly don't know if she has access to like his in- like their insurance information and the things that she needs to put on the form yeah that's a great point she's also like until hers and Richard's like kind of family doctor shows up she really doesn't know how to deal with the situation which Mm -hmm. I mean admittedly who really knows how to deal with a situation like this but uh Lorelai shows up um and like quickly fixes the situation in a way like she manages to get the nurse to go and find out information and she just like heads straight into the behind the double doors to see what's going on Mm -hmm. rather than Emily kind of just spinning her wheels and yelling at people, yeah. <laughs> um, which is something we've seen with Lor- Lorelai before, or maybe we will see. <laughs> we will see. It. I don't remember. Yeah, but like she actually has both of those minds, like practical mm-hmm. business, all that. Yeah, Emily is such a character of like who knows how things are done within a certain realm. But when it comes to other realms, like something practical, like this hospital, she has no clue. And her methods of interacting with people, such as yelling (laughs) and pushing around, are not always that effective. It was nice to see Emily kind of amazed by Lorelai in this moment. First that she showed up, um, and then that she is like so useful in this moment and like making things happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. i wonder do you think that at least in this case and probably many other cases would you call emily a karen um i you could i think in this moment i like this isn't the scene i would pick in particular because Mm -hmm. it's like there is such emotional weight uh but i mean that doesn't distract or forgive like her actual the way that she's treating people here like the very speak to the manager kind of personality right and would you i i think i would i do understand that at this point she has reason to be acting acting out um but i also think that because she spent her entire life acting in a certain way when she wants something done 
um it comes as second nature to her in this instance even though it's Mm -hmm. not getting her anywhere she does have a history of not understanding other people's humanity um Mm -hmm. and like focusing on just her own needs (laughs) and i think that's what's happening here it is yeah like you're saying a, a nuanced situation where she definitely is emotionally distraught and deserves to have and like it's not it's fine for her to be having an emotional outburst in something like this. It's very understandable. But I, yeah, I do think that it's it's become a habit to her to disregard other people's <laughs> feelings or even ability to help. Like, mm-hmm. not everybody can get you exactly what you want when you want it. Yeah. Uh, it's like her, it's definitely her method or her way of like operating with other people and even in this earlier in the scene, she's yelling that apparently her great uncle founded the hospital and that his portrait is hanging in the lobby, which is definitely something a Karen would say if they were as like elite as Emily. Uh, it's interesting that you bring that up though, because it seems now I'm like reading the revival and the storyline they have for Emily in the revival as like the attempt to turn around Mm -hmm. (laughs) her way of like viewing and interacting in the world i agree but she really doesn't make any progress in that character trait throughout the Mm -hmm. the main seasons okay so at this point we've kind of covered how emily and rory have been at the hospital then Luke and Lorelai arrive and they're all kind of getting this sorted out trying to find Richard get any news about him it's interesting or important to note how Luke is basically functioning in these scenes like Emily Lorelai and Rory are kind of all over the place running around looking for coffee or looking for information or whatever and Luke is just kind of being like uh steadiness I guess Mm -hmm. but he basically acts also as a therapist all three of them at some point in this episode um yeah despite the fact that he hates hospitals and is sickened Mm -hmm. by sick people which is yeah he's in like physical discomfort Mm -hmm. by being in this environment (laughs) yet he is like the like the very solid presence for every single character except Richard but Mm -hmm. you know like they just don't interact but I think that's really good to point out. Um, yeah. Oh, Luke. <laughs> yeah. What would we do without him? And it's worth noting also that Emily is questioning if Luke and Lorelai were on a date mm-hmm. as well because they arrived together. And they're saying, well, he, we can't be it because it's Luke. Like, <laughs> it's this person I've, that's been in her life for so long that she hasn't thought of in that way, which... The tables will turn on that eventually. (laughs) Um, Even within this episode, things change a little bit. mm -hmm. When Lorelai accidentally calls Luke cute. Right. Good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she tries to backtrack by saying, oh, you look healthy. But he understands, clearly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, soon Richard is brought out... Um, and I think this, like, when he's, the moment that he's brought out also brings us to another one of the, like, emotional cruxes, which is that Lorelai, although she's been here to help and, 
um, supposedly with the purpose of seeing her father, now that the moment comes to see him, she cannot, like, bring herself to go into the room. She just finds excuses to go find coffee or go find Rory or whatever and avoid going in there. Mm-hmm. And Luke reads that so clearly. He um, asks her, like, who are you going to go find now? You can't avoid that room forever. I think you're afraid. The truth hurts. <laughs> uh, like, he's so right and recognizes, like, clearly what is going on within her. And uh, it's just really, it's very touching and to see Lorelai like struggling in this way of like avoiding her father and I don't even like have the words to describe it but as you yeah as like an emotional really a hinge like a turning point um the one we had earlier with the voicemail and then now it's like we've never really had this tone in the show before this episode it's very unique to this episode and then there will be other moments later on in the series but it takes a very serious it's like very serious and heightened in this moment yeah and I I definitely can kind of I've, I've been fortunate enough to never have a sick parent both my parents are fairly healthy so I've never experienced this myself um but I have the feeling that a lot of what she's feeling is like a a smallness in the situation mm-hmm. and I really felt this kind of jumping ahead to when she go finally goes in and has like a silent just like moment with Richard I felt like that was that was what I was getting with this whole avoidance and that scene eventually was her just like feeling small in the situation and helpless and like a child um Mm. whereas when she's like out doing something getting coffee kind of uh running errands or something she can feel more like herself and more in charge kind of like we were Mm -hmm. saying (laughs) emily wanted to feel more in charge um earlier on and yeah that's how i was reading her her reactions to all of this um Mm -hmm just like avoiding that uncomfortable feeling yeah I think your description of her feeling small is a good one especially when she does go in to see Richard I thought like Lauren Graham acted that really well like she looks really uncomfortable and scared and it's it's hard to describe but I think she made all of the right acting decisions to convey to the viewer that like when you feel small uh in relation to seeing her dad and when I've seen people in the hospital before and they do look really different uh when you know Richard looks smaller as well and it can be like so uncanny or scary to see someone like your dad be like look smaller and helpless and weak and whatnot um but and I think I would identify part of her fear um in this moment is a bit of like the potential regret like what if I were to lose him when we were so distant Mm -hmm. when we had not resolved our conflicts like uh like just the potential loss that she feels um 
mm-hmm. is really huge, I think. Yeah, I I agree completely. And just, like, the fact that they had that scene together in complete silence, mm-hmm. and it made me cry. <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> that was such a, yeah, such good acting, such, like, a good mm-hmm. kind of build-up to that emotional moment. Um, yeah. And we've also, like, as you said, we also have an emotional moment similar to that with Emily when she's kind of confronted with the possibility of Richard dying. Um, And I think, yeah, that's another, a big parallel in this episode is Mm -hmm. her feelings in this as well. Um, Luke also comforting her and telling her that Lorelai does appreciate and love her father which emily seemed to not realize or accept before Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah you we have these really vulnerable moments from all three like earlier rory said to lorelei um that like she doesn't want him to die because she just started to get to know him Mm -hmm. which is like so sad oh oh my god (laughs) But to say a word also about the uh, scene between Emily and Richard when she goes in once they can visit him um, and she's very like fixated on the pillows and wanting to find sheets for him really as we have like as you connected a bit of like the surface level things that she can control like the party uh, versus her like deep deep interior fear here that she's just trying to avoid thinking about but Richard is prompting her to think about it by focusing on the practical things like uh, you'll need to access our financial information, our stock information, my will. If And then he starts to say, like, if I die. And that's when she breaks down and is like, no, that like that's not going to happen. I refuse. And she says that um, she demands to go first. Mm-hmm. And he agrees to this. And oh. <laughs> This is, I, I'm going to be sad again. This is when I was crying uh, because it's just like with the knowledge of what happens in the revival and how much that hinges on her mourning of Richard. He does go first and how shaken up her entire life is by that. And also just by the fact of like Edward Herman passing in real life, like mm-hmm. uh, just seeing all of the characters being so afraid of him dying and then that being a real thing and seeing all of their mourning and like acting of the mourning that was probably real for them because they all knew him in the revival like it just had me thinking a lot about so many scenes from the revival later on that also made me cry so (laughs) it was just very full of emotion for me here yeah I agree. I almost just, I just teared up a little bit as you were describing mm-hmm. this scene. Cause yeah, it is. <laughs> I know <laughs> I'm like laughing. So I don't, <laughs> I know. you know, <laughs> yeah, it's my way of coping. <laughs> so many coping mechanisms going on in this episode. We really just need a Luke here to negotiate things. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found that scene really powerful and I, I think it's a very realistic thing. Again, I'm saying this from having no experience of also being a married person, so I can't imagine what it would like to think about your partner dying. But I 
like this just seems like a real a very real reaction to me to something like that um Mm -hmm. which the show doesn't always give us the most real reactions to things but i think in this case everything in this episode is very like realistic to what what people actually go through in in similar situations a sad episode but a very well done episode right and um another thing that I thought was sweet is that Rory is reading him business <laughs> newspapers. She's gone through like the entire Wall Street Journal and she's on the Financial Times when Emily mm-hmm. comes in and is like, why don't you save that one for later? <laughs> um, so and she, Emily <laughs> says like, oh, this little girl likes you. And Richard says, well, she has good taste. And while I want to, I don't love the phrase little girl. It's a bit uh, mm-hmm. sickly sweet to me like you could just be like oh your granddaughter cares for you (laughs) because that is what like the reading of the newspaper demonstrates what can you say to your grandfather in this moment like what she wants to say is like I was so worried I care for you so much I'm so glad you're okay and she's doing that through her like action of well he would want to be reading the newspaper so I'm going to do that for him and I thought it was a great example of doing what she thinks he needs and she's right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just like at the birthday party episode where she brings him mm-hmm. the magazine so he doesn't have to participate in the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the last main emotional moment would be that Lorelai tells Luke to take Rory home and she decides to stay and stick around as like a support system for Emily. And she's very deflective about this, though. She tells Emily, like, if anyone needs anything, I'll be here. (laughs) You don't need anything, but, you know, if someone in the cafeteria needs something, I'll be there. Like, definitely using her humor as a way to, um, like, not comment on the fact that she is doing something very kind for her mom and that this is also a way of them reconciling their most recent feud. So uh, it was really uh, a nice wrap-up to things. To, like, see them walking down, like, Emily asks her, do you want to go get a bite to eat? And you get a sense that they're going to be okay, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that also reminds me that, like, what we were talking about in last week's episode was really Emily caring for Mm Lorelai. And here the tables are turning and Mm Lorelai is offering to care for Emily um, and yeah. It's, yeah, it's just kind of a full circle moment for the big fight that they've had. Um, mm-hmm. All the Dean stuff is forgotten <laughs> for now. <laughs> right. That's most of the, the only other thing that happens in the episode after this is the next day, um, Lorelai goes to thank Luke and gives him a blue baseball hat which we should all remember because this is going to be important two or three seasons from now (laughs) um but he he puts it on and then (laughs) and then there's like a the um nativity procession or whatever i'm not entirely sure what it was but the some kind of procession where they're all dressed up it seems like as all of these like christmas figures from that yeah story (laughs) yeah they turn out the lights and watch it it's a very cute moment Mm -hmm. Lorelai says it's hard to imagine living somewhere else isn't it which Mm -hmm. I thought was a fantastic line for describing 
Stars Hollow and living there. I think it also foreshadows Luke and Lorelai as a couple. Um, since, yeah, Lorelai's like indicating that this is where she wants to stay for the rest of her life, potentially. And Luke, we know, wants to stay here for the rest of his life. He's never leaving. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it's just kind of a a subtle matchmaking moment for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, how, I don't know how you could view this episode and not describe them as end game, as mm-hmm. the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I feel like we've, in very close detail, talked through the main moments of this episode, which was very important. <laughs> yeah, it's like a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> We interrupt this program with a message from our sponsor. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas for all of you who celebrate. And there's no better place to celebrate this holiday season than Festive Stars Hollow, where it's all but guaranteed to be a white Christmas in terms of the population as well as the snow. This winter, Stars Hollow is happy to offer its two traditional Christmas events, the procession and the pageant. In particular, the pageant is a dramatic performance to be seen. It's got it all, costumes tailored by local fashionista Lorelai Gilmore, a before and after Mary, wise men, half a donkey, a baby Jesus that's been around since 1965. Sure, the doll has a bow and is missing an arm, but it's part of the history of this grand event. When you attend either the Stars Hollow Christmas procession or pageant, Mention Talking Fast to Taylor or Miss Patty, and you'll receive a voucher for a free hot chocolate. These warm and delicious beverages are so graciously provided in the Christmas spirit after much coercion by Luke Steiner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's head off to Rory's bookshelf to discuss the most notable pop culture references in this episode. And then let's go to Lorelai's closet to check out the best and worst fashion choices in the show. Uh, Let's move forward, though, to Rory's bookshelf. What did you pick out this episode for your bookshelf nomination? Well, I already talked about my embarrassing reference snafu with the Unabomber, um, but I, I picked another one um, that is the only other book that's mentioned, which is Metamorphosis, and I am bringing this up because I want to talk about a different book called Metamorphosis, which is Ovid's, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is very important in the medieval period, which, again, is what I study. Ovid, of course, is writing towards the end of the classical period, um, but what he wrote is like a, it's basically a collection of stories about all of the different gods, like the uh, Greek pantheon and everything, and it was used 
the information in it was used throughout the Middle Ages. People were obsessed with, like, putting in references to Ovid. You see references to him all the way up through, like, Shakespeare and early modern poetry and stuff like that. Um, and I've never read, is it Kafka's Metamorphosis? I haven't read mm-hmm. that, so I I only know the, the Ovid Metamorphosis. Um, I know that they are quite different in actual content, but the the similar title makes me curious kind of a yeah. tangential bookshelf and i don't really know much about kafka at all other than him being a writer in the 20th century and i guess i just looked up a really quick summary of metamorphosis and this is about a salesman who wakes up inexplicably inexplicably transformed into a huge insect and has to adjust to this condition. So I guess that's referring to the metamorphosis. And it's probably an allegory for something else. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very 20th century. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either way, that just cements for me the fact that this is a totally inappropriate Christmas gift for Dean. It shows a total lack of, a, like, I'm just like, Rory, girl, why? Like, this is not something he would want. It makes me feel a bit more positively about Dean to think that, you know, we already saw he was willing to read Bronte for Rory. I'm guessing he would read this book for her, too, if she got him this as a present. Uh, So I'm just so glad that Lane intervened to, like, Mm -hmm. prompt her to think about something a little more appropriate, a little more considering Dean's interests uh I don't think we ever end up hearing what she got him but I hope it I hope it was not this book (laughs) yeah if she if she has to get him a book at least pay attention to the authors he said he's liked so not that basically (laughs) yeah (laughs) get him like train spotting or something like that he'd like that (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) um did you have anything for Lorelai's closet this week Yeah, I picked out the dress that Rory wears to the Christmas party, which she's also wearing for the majority of this episode. It is a very deep red color. It looks to be a velvet material or something that looks like it. Uh, It kind of has longer sleeves and kind of like an empire waist or like right Mm -hmm. under the bust is where like the waist is. And then it kind of flows out from there. And it has, like, a pattern of flowers. And it is just really cute. I think it's the perfect dress for a Christmas party because it uses the colors of red and green but without going too cheesy uh, or on the nose with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I was trying to work on my describing skills there. So I hope <laughs> I could evoke a picture of it in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I love that dress. It's very... Very Christmas party I could almost, like, imagine wearing that to a Christmas party, which I also imagine to have, like, a fireplace, and mm-hmm. you might get a little bit overheated. There's, like, a very specific feel to Christmas parties when everybody's wearing winter clothing and there's mm-hmm. fireplaces and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the velvet it screams warm to me like I don't actually like to wear velvet but for this case I like it because it is seem it does seem like warm for a cold holiday Mm -hmm. but 
Uh, what were you thinking about for Lorelai's closet? I kind of picked two things, and they're from that very final scene with Luke and Lorelai. One is that blue hat, and the other mm-hmm. is Lorelai's kind of signature um, jacket that she's wearing. And she wore it earlier in the episode as well. It's like a jean jacket or a corduroy jacket or something that's lined with white faux fur. <laughs> and I feel like we see this a lot more. I don't know. It's just like a very Lorelai look. And she gets, she takes Lane's advice, even though she didn't hear it here, and gets Luke a gift that is actually something in his taste. And mm-hmm. these two things together, and just like this scene of them together, it it just like screams their Luke and Lorelai-ness. <laughs> So mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's why I chose uh, a twofer, I guess. Welcome to Stars Hollow is a chance for us to take a nostalgic stroll through the town, discussing its cozy and comfortable aesthetics. Okay, moving forward for Welcome to Stars Hollow, what did you have in mind for this episode? There honestly wasn't very much in the way of coziness at the hospital, I'll say, but... Um, And we've already talked about what I'm going to choose, but it was basically that, again, taking back to that last scene, but this time it was the nativity procession or whatever it is, and just, like, the kind of community-ness of it. I am kind of, like, I do have some qualms with it because I feel like it's forcing the whole town to participate in Christianity, um... Mm-hmm. And we don't, of course, meet any characters who don't participate. Um, so that's kind of questionable to me. But at the same time, it looks cozy and it reminds me of my own Christmas traditions. So in this case, uh, I will let it slide. What about you? Did you have any Welcome to Stars Hollow moments? It was honestly very difficult for me to decide because I found a lot that I was thinking about there were just so many decorations across the various uh home spaces we see like uh not even home but like we start out with the gazebo which has been decked out in like lights and other things where Rory and Lane are talking there the town square in general is covered with like there's Christmas trees uh, like poinsettias there's the like yellowish goldish kind of lights on a lot of the surrounding Mm -hmm. trees in the area Lorelai's house is a more cozy approach with like rainbow lights outside and a tree that is like very like my family's it's like very eclectic ornaments Mm -hmm. that all are like very loving you know uh the inn looks great even the Gilmore house and it's very it's more like elevated and organized (laughs) decorations is good so honestly I can't really I pick all of those (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I understand Christmas is Mm -hmm. irresistible in that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think it's time for Friday Night Dinner, our once-a-week opportunity to critique something from this episode. Okay. Um, Should we move to Friday Night Dinner? Did you have anything you wanted to talk about for this, this week? I honestly don't know... I feel like this episode did a lot of things really well, actually, and 
Uh, there are some things I would point to, like Emily being difficult um, at like toward Richard or toward Rory at the party of like, come on, girl, you're doing things for like appearances, like we've talked about before. But then that's reversed as well at the end when you see like this like harrowing thing where she's fixating on the tie and like having so much regret about like uh, feeling like a feeling of responsibility even though we know like he would have had a heart attack no matter what it wasn't just that the tie was too tight and you didn't want him to untighten it but uh, so like they write in a critique of her like superficial or sh- like shallow actions earlier in the episode um, the only other thing I could gesture toward is something you did just a minute ago of like Christmas is so dominant throughout the episode in a way that there's no other like religions or cultures represented or even acknowledged like Christianity is just there with Christmas um uh, that could easily be a critique but honestly I was just so like moved by the whole episode that I was like not in the mood to critique it when I was done (laughs) I agree I wrote down like I struggled and I wrote down a couple of different things um, that I could potentially, I guess, critique, but I'm in the same boat. I was like, I, I feel like this episode, yeah, was in such a different vein from anything we've seen so far that it is hard to critique because it was so emotional, um, and it, like, gave so much character development in just Mm -hmm. one episode. Um, one thing I was a little bit miffed by was Emily's continued inability to believe that Lorelai cared. (laughs) She continued to be, like, astounded that Lorelai had shown up or wanted to stay or whatever. Um, But I I kind of think that that was, like, played up in a in an unnecessary way in some some instances. Um, But I also feel like from the fight that they had had, it, I understand why why we see that. And also just the fact that Lorelai and Richard, as Lorelai was saying, don't have that much of a relationship. But I still, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds of it. Because I, I understand, but I also feel like Emily shouldn't have been surprised that her daughter cared about her father. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was like the only thing I could kind of, bring up for Friday night dinner I did want to critique Luke's anti-festiveness mostly just because I am one of those people who (laughs) begins Christmas as soon as I can and when I worked in malls and stuff and we had Christmas music going at the beginning of November I was living my best life while everybody else (laughs) hated it (laughs) but you know Luke do do whatever you want I guess (laughs) as long as you bought chocolate yeah (laughs) so we had very like half-hearted critiques for this episode which is you know it's a nice place to be in sometimes we're heated and have a lot to say which is good too but Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to be like a bit of like applause I guess for the show for this episode (laughs) yeah I agree and now let's meet at the gazebo to discuss our favorite moment from this episode do you have any a gazebo moment for this episode In a similar way to my struggle to identify one thing for 
Welcome to Stars Hollow. I also really struggled to pick out a single gazebo moment. It felt more like a series of interrelated emotional scenes, a lot of which we've discussed already, um, like the Emily and Richard scene, also the Emily and Luke scene, uh, which is like a very unexpected pairing. So I guess I would like take a moment to talk about that a little bit of like Emily comes out and Luke is sitting there alone and she wants to like sit down. This is shortly following the really emotional scene she had with Richard. So I think she's like still reckoning with that, doing the like talking about the tie, like I mentioned, and Luke kind of shares something that we don't know about him, which is that his dad has died. Well, at this point in the show, I don't think we know. Um, And he says he's kept his dad's shop intact, like completely the way it was, except for turning it into a diner. And Emily says like, oh, he would probably be honored to know that. And Luke's like, no, he'd call me like a fool, (laughs) basically. Uh, But overall, that was just um i will see that emily and luke are not you know the best of buds uh, that they have their issues later on but in this moment unexpectedly he was there for her and even revealed a bit about himself that i'm not sure he would have told lorelei even and th- that are issues of like um an inability to like let go or mourn and move on Uh, Like, I'm thinking about the boat thing that's going to come up (laughs) later on. Like, he doesn't have totally resolved feelings about this central death in his life either. And it's really interesting that he feels like he can share that with Emily in this moment. Uh, Also, unrelated, but the Santa burger was up there for me too. (laughs) But I think I'll pick the Emily and Luke conversation uh, for my gazebo moment in the end. How about you? I wanted to pick a moment that I've already talked a lot about, which was the that silent encounter between Lorelai and Richard, and just, like, the exchange that they have without any words. I thought that this was very daring for the scriptwriters to do, because um, mm-hmm. it relies 100% on the actor's abilities to, like, convey emotion without saying any words whatsoever um but it did it for me (laughs) and I yeah just like the you the like realization in Richard's eyes especially as he sees Lorelai standing there crying basically um and the fact that people come in in a rush a second later before they have a chance to say anything but you see Mm -hmm. in that moment that Richard understands like my daughter is here and she cares about me Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great moment and very powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. It's bold of them to require on, like, the so much is said in the silence, the unspoken moment, but it really did work effectively here. And it is interesting, as you said, that people, like, come in before they can say anything, so it leaves this, like, very unfinished, like, they have a moment of recognition with each other, but the true weight like the emotional journey is still left like completely open between the two of them yeah very true such an emotional episode (laughs) yeah i feel like we have done it justice though 
I don't remember exactly what comes next next week, but hopefully it's a little bit uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see Max again. Oh, yeah. If he even matters anymore with Luke around. <laughs> right. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> I know. Okay. We have shared our gazebo moments, and of course we would love if all of our listeners all at once could just share so many different gazebo moments. (laughs) Uh, We ask that you send us a one-minute voice memo to our email, which is talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen. And follow us on Instagram at talkingfast podcast yes at talking past <laughs> podcast um and yeah see you next week bye <laughs>